0: You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Well, uh, this morning I want to talk a little bit for the next few moments and minutes in the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 6. And um, the title of today's message is Be Like Christ. Be like Christ. I love the book of Acts. uh, the book of Acts really is a book of ordinary people. That's what I love about it. Ordinary people, but they are empowered by the Word of God. They're, uh, equipped, uh, they're equipped with the Word of God. They're empowered by the Spirit of God. They're dedicated to the Son of God, and they want to accomplish the will of God. So uh, we're going to spend a few moments looking at a man named Stephen and learning a few things from that. Acts chapter 6. Verse uh, 8. As you're turning there, uh, turn to your neighbor and say, today is your lucky day. (laughs) All right. Turn to your other neighbor and say, because you're sitting next to me. (laughs) Right? It is fun to be in the house of the Lord. Well, here we go. Acts 6 and verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power. Full of grace and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. I'm reading out the ESV version, by the way. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicily and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and they seized him. And they brought him before the council, kind of like the Supreme Court at that time. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And look at verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is God's word for us this morning. Would you join me as we spend a moment just in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word today. I'm so blessed to be in this faith family called the Ranch Church. That those have, they've decided that they could be anywhere on a Sunday morning, anywhere they want to be. And yet, Lord, you have brought them to this place, under this tent, on this land. Lord, I, I don't know their story. and I don't know what brought them here today, but you do. And I pray, not my word, but your word spoken in this place today would accomplish its will. For those that need encouragement, would you give it? For those that need direction, oh, would you lead? For those that just need maybe some correction, ooh, a little rebuke, oh, I pray you would give that today. Father, you have your way today. We are surrendered to the word of the Lord. And we submit to the Lord of the Word today. Would you go out before us and ask these things in Jesus' name. Our God's people said, Amen. 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 Now, in 1991, one of the greatest commercials ever to grace your television screens was made by Gatorade. It was one of their most successful commercials ever. It was the campaign called Be Like Mike. One person got, thank you sir. Be like Mike. Be like Mike. It was an incredible series of commercials. It launched them to a whole new level and maybe if you recall those commercials, you can can look them on YouTube later if you want. Uh, They would have Michael Jordan, you know, doing a a crazy reverse-handed layup. Then they'd have a picture of a, a clip of a kid trying that same thing. They'd have a clip of Michael Jordan doing his famous, you know, uh, slam dunk with his tongue hanging out. Then they'd have a kid clip of a kid trying to do the same thing. And then of course, uh, ultimately, the commercial ended up with Michael Jordan drinking some Gatorade and kids drinking Gatorade as well. And the commercial was all about, hey, you want to be like Mike, you want to do what he can do, then you got to drink what he drinks. And Gatorade took off and Be Like Mike was a great campaign. But we as followers of Jesus, we don't desire to be like Mike. We desire to be like Christ. Now, if we want to live a life of significance, of importance, then we want to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Why that campaign worked so well, Be Like Mike, is because people wanted to be like him. They wanted to do what he could do, accomplish what he could accomplish. They wanted to live the life that he lived. In the same way, we as followers of Christ. We want to do what He did. We want to be like He was. That's why we're here today. That's why the title of today's message is Be Like Christ. And I believe that if we want to have a life of significance, of importance, of worth, then we need to be more and more like Jesus. So for the next few moments and minutes today, we're going to study a man named Stephen, who I believe was a great example of Jesus Christ. His life points us to Jesus. What we're going to see this morning is this of three little things. We're going to look at first this idea that Stephen's life was a catalyst. Then we're going to spend a few moments looking at the character of Stephen. And then we'll end with the consequence, the consequences of being like Christ. Let's think about this first idea, the catalyst. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, Acts chapter 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now Stephen, now to stop right there. Stephen and Stephen. Now what you might not know is that this verse 8 begins a brand new section in the book of Acts. Um, If you look up at verse 7, verse 7 says this, that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So that verse 7 is like a summary statement. And Luke, the writer of Acts, is now beginning in verse 8, kind of a new portion in the book of Acts, like a new direction, something new is happening. Stephen and Stephen, verse 8, and Stephen, he's the catalyst. Of this movement, he's the catalyst. Now, a catalyst is a person, a event, an event or a thing that causes change. You might remember the little thing called the iPod that was released. The iPod was a catalyst. it was this thing that re- that changed the way we listen to music. Now, I know in a crowd this size, some of you guys bought the Zune player. H- how many of you guys bought the Zune? I'm sure. Yeah, I knew. There's always a couple people that bought the Zune. I'm sorry that didn't really pan out for you guys too well. But uh, we all know that the iPod was insane. It was a catalyst. It changed, changed way everything. No more CDs. No more anything. Also, I think about a catalyst. is a little thing called LaCroix. Anybody drink LaCroix lately? Yeah. I mean, LaCroix, who like? No one liked sparkling water before LaCroix. I didn't like sparkling water, but all of a sudden LaCroix makes it tasty, natural essences, different flavors. I'm like, man, I'm, all I'm drinking is LaCroix all the time. It was a catalyst. It changes the way we think. Maybe many of you have had those catalytic moments in your life when you said yes, when you could have said no. When you stayed, when you had a chance and encounter at a restaurant that changed your life forever. When you met your spouse, that was a catalytic moment. And the moment, of course, that we all met Jesus Christ, that was a catalyst. It changed everything for us. changes the trajectory. Now, that's what we have right here in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, and Stephen. Stephen's life and ultimately his death, will be a catalyst for the life of the church. We're just looking at the man, but if you kept reading in verse chapter 7, chapter 8, you'll learn about the message he preaches, and ultimately the martyrdom in which he dies. After this event, the church spreads wide and far. From this point earlier, the church was localized. It was just in Jerusalem. The church had gone viral. It was growing and growing, but only in Jerusalem, only in one town. After Stephen's, after this moment, it changes. The church goes global, becomes globalized, and it reaches to the ends of the earth. The church goes viral, if you will. It's explosive. It's exponential. It's expansive. Now, I don't know about you, but I want my life to make a difference. I want to live a significant life. I want my life to be a catalyst. So what was it about Stephen? Why was his life, why did it create such change? And I believe his life was a catalyst because of his great character, because of his great character. See, character is who you really are. Reputation is who people say you are. A character is like the foundation that the house is built on, and the reputation is like looking at the house from the side of the street. And so let's spend a few moments thinking about the character of Stephen. Like what made his life such a catalyst? Well, look at verse 8 again. Look at his character. And Stephen, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, now, now this, if you're any kind of Bible student, or you recall what had happened earlier, this should be like really a surprise to you. And Stephen was doing great signs, look at the text, great wonders and signs. That means he was like doing miracles, things were happening, he was praying for people, they were being healed. We don't know exactly what was happening, but we read it was great wonders, great signs among the people. Now, Stephen, you you might remember, we don't know how old he was. We kind of assume he was younger, but we don't really know. Earlier, he had just been asked to serve tables. You might recall in the life of the early church, there was a moment that threatened the life of the church. You might remember there were some widows, two groups of widows, Jewish widows and Greek widows. And it came to the apostles that the Greek widows were being overlooked. The church was doing a food preparation thing. It was feeding the widows. And for whatever reason, it wasn't on purpose, but it was maybe a lack of administration or something was going on. But the Greek widows were being overlooked. And the apostles, remember what they said? They said, listen, we're kind of busy writing the Bible. You know what I mean? And uh, so, so we, we, we need to be praying. We need to be focusing on God's word. So who can we raise up to help us serve the widows? And Stephen was one of those. Now maybe he worked at Chili's and he was good at waiting or something. Who knows what's, what's up. But Stephen had an apron on and he was serving people. And yet in verse 8 we see that he's doing great wonders and signs. Wait, 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 I thought he was just a waiter. Now in verse 8 you're telling me that Stephen is doing great wonders and signs. What is going on? Number one, character trait. He was a man of obedience. A man of obedience. You might think, well, is obedience a character trait? Well, as a parent, I'm trying to teach my kids obedience. One of the phrases in the Wagner household is obey right away. (laughs) And because they've been obedient, but with a little pouty face, I've been adding another line, obey right away with a grin above your chin. (laughs) All right, now we want obedience. We know that, of course, Jesus was a man of obedience. Right, what a character trait that Jesus had. He was a man of obedience. The Apostle Paul would tell us to have the mind of Christ were to follow his example as he was obedient to the will of the Father. You guys know this well, that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus pray? Not my will, but your will be done, O oh Lord. I'm a man of obedience. So Stephen, what, what's going on here? I think Stephen, a man of obedience, he understood this, this, this thought that, that small things lead to bigger things. Now you know this principle, you guys are Bible students, Luke 16, 10. One who is faithful in a little will be faithful in much. Stephen was just being obedient, and what God had asked him to do, serve tables, bless the widows, just put on an apron and just serve. And through this obedience of a small thing, I believe God began to use him greater and greater and greater. And all of a sudden, verse 8 we read he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. I just wonder if that first wonder was done at the dinner table. I, I just imagine that a widow's coming by maybe he sees that she has a fever and he says, I'm going to pray in faith for this woman. And he prays and her fever is gone. I, I just imagine that maybe it's going to the end of the serving line and the food's running out. We've all been in a potluck before. Food's running out. And maybe Stephen sees it. And he sees a lot of widows left and he just prays, oh Lord, would you multiply this food? And it's multiplied. I don't, I don't know. But small things lead to big things. I firmly believe this. We are, as a people, should start small and grow tall. That was one of the mottos of our church plan in 2018. We want to start small and let the Lord grow us tall. Has that not been the Ranch's story? Start small. Start small. We're going to meet above like with some coffee shop, right? We're going to have some offices someplace over here. We're going to be in this school start small and as we just have small steps of obedience lord you would you see us faithful now you guys have 60 acres are you crazy that is insane start small grow tall now obedience and small things might not seem like much but it's like the small strands of a rope that are woven together to make a solid cord It's the reason why I wear this paracord bracelet. A paracord consists of seven or eight small strands that on their own cannot hold that much weight. But when they're wrapped together and put in a sleeve, they can hold like 500 pounds of tension. Small steps. Zechariah 4.10. Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Small things lead to big things. He was a man of obedience. Next thing I I see here in this character, he was a man of overflow. I know we've been in verse 8 a lot, but look again at verse 8. A man of obedience and a man of overflow. Verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power. Say the word full. Full, it means, it means abundance. It means uh, complete. It means to be filled. It means overflow. In fact, if I could pick one character trait that should describe a Christian, it should be the word overflow. We should not live a life of depletion and fear and anxiousness. We should live a life of overflow, overflow of joy, overflow of love, overflow of peace, overflow of purpose. And we see that here in Stephen. He's full of, he's full of grace. He's full of power. I read one commentary. He described it this way, that Stephen had sweetness and strength. I like that. Sweetness and strength. He was overflowed. He was filled, verse 8, with grace. Grace, God's riches at Christ expense. Grace, the sweetness. Grace, unmerited favor. Grace, kindness. Stephen was full of that. It was just overflowing in his life. This idea of just when you saw Stephen coming, it oozed out grace. Not only was he a man of overflow of sweetness of grace, but it says also of of power. It says there are power, a strength, dynamic, energy. It's not power like he was in the CrossFit, you know, wearing tank tops, suns out, guns out situation, but there was there was strength in his soul. There was strength in his character. He was immov- immovable, uncompromising, unwavering. Right, he was rooted in who He was and who, whose He was. I think about this as a cross reference. You could write this in the margin of your Bible. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree that's planted by water, that sends out its roots by the stream, does not fear when heat comes. For the leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. He was full of this type of confidence, full of this type of power. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with strength, filled with sweetness. What I want you to know, this was an observable character trait. It was observable. People saw this in him. It overflowed. Because he had received grace, he released grace. I just wonder, When you roll up on the scene, when you show up, show up at a work environment, or a family reunion, or in your neighborhood, when you roll up, when you show up, when you are there, what do people see in you? What overflows out of your life? What what happens when your life is squeezed? What pours out? What we'll see, we read that last verse, verse 15 says that when Stephen's life was squeezed, verse 15 says that as they gazed at him, they saw his, that his face was like the face of an angel, like he had this glow about him. There was just this thing that was pouring out of his life that he had been with Jesus. I just challenge you this morning. Do people know that you've been with Jesus? People see that you are a man, that you are a woman of obedience, that you are a man, that you are a woman of an overflow. Sweetness and strength pours out of you. What we also see earlier in verse 5 regarding Stephen and the other men that were chosen to serve the widows is that he was also full of the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 5. He was overflowing with the Holy Spirit. When I think about the idea of full of the Holy Spirit, overflowing, it's the idea of, of being influenced by the Holy Spirit. He was a man under the influence of the Spirit. He was a man that allowed the Spirit to, to lead him. He, he yielded to the Holy Spirit. And he was yearning for more of the Holy Spirit. We see that there in verse 5 of Acts 6. So Stephen, he was a man of great character, obedience. He started small. God began to use him more and more. He was a man of overflow as his life was being squeezed, as we're going to see here in just a moment. What came out of him was grace and strength sweetness and power but here's the thing we see jesus as we see stephen as paul would say in 1 corinthians imitate me as i imitate christ why i wanted to spend a few moments thinking about stephen and his character because we see jesus in his life jesus was grace personified jesus was filled with the holy spirit jesus was full of grace and truth so if we want to live a life of significant, it's determined how closely we resemble Jesus. Because Jesus truly changes everything. But here's the problem. is that The more and more we become associated with Christ, the more and more we resemble Jesus, the more and more the world will be agitated against us. If we are recognized with Jesus in these positive ways, compassion and love and peace and forgiveness, we have to understand that we will also be identify with Jesus in some negative ways. Let's look at the consequences, the consequences of Stephen looking like Jesus. Verse 9 says this. So you would think by verse 8, everyone's excited about Stephen. He's doing great wonders and signs. He's a man of obedience, a man of overflow. But look what happens, verse 9. But then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, Uh, most likely this was a synagogue that was founded by uh, former slaves that had been freed. So it was this other synagogue, this other church of freedmen as it was called. And also of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Sicilia and Asia, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. So Stephen's minding his those business. He's doing his own thing, serving the Lord. And yet there's other people that did not like it. You see there, look at the word there, verse 9. Watch the text. Notice the agitation. They rose up and disputed, verse 9. They rose up. Like they're not liking what's going on with Stephen. And they said, okay, we got to stop this. Must we never forget that as a follower of Christ, we are going against the flow. We are battling the opposite. We are going opposite of what the world would desire. Unlike how it's a good thing to cut your tri-tip against the grain, right? as a Christian going against the grain, it's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some agitation. But we don't have to worry I love what verse 10 just a little nugget verse 10 says but they couldn't withstand the wisdom of the spirit which he, which he was speaking I love that I hope that encourages you That as though we are becoming like Christ we're gonna get at some agitation but as long as we're filled with the spirit oh man they can't withstand us nothing can stop us notice the accusation in verse 11 then they secretly instigated men who said we, we've heard him speak these blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Look at verse 12, and they stirred up, they stirred up the people, and they came upon him, they seized him, and they brought him before the council, and they set up these false witnesses, they set up some liars, and they said these three things against him. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, and against the law. And we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So There are three kind of big accusations that they are agitated and they begin to kind of throw at him. And chapter 7 is Stephen's defense. We won't have time to get into that, but it's a great time just to read it. It's a great message that Stephen preaches. But they are accusing Stephen of saying, Jesus is greater than Moses. Uh, Jesus is greater than the law. And Jesus is greater than the temple. The fact of the matter is, is he was correct. Jesus is better than Moses. Uh, Moses gave the law. Jesus gave grace. Jesus is better than the the, the law, right? Jesus fulfilled the law. His, His righteousness makes us clean. Not that we have to obey all these rules. And then Jesus is greater than the temple. The Jews in that time, they were so concerned. They connected God with this place, the temple, that holy land. And like, they just could not get around the idea that Jesus would say, hey, guess what? I'm destroying this thing, man. I, like, I'm not gonna just reside in the place. I'm gonna reside in the people. And so Stephen was talking about that and they just, they just were like, oh, I rose again. They were agitated. And they accused. See, here's the thing. If we wanna be like Mike, the world will applaud us. The world will say, good job. Way to go. But the more that we want to be like Christ, we will cause agitation and accusation. They're going to argue. They're not going to like it. Because we have a whole different game plan. We have a whole different way of looking at life. I'm so reminded of what Paul would say in Philippians. Again, write this in the margin of your Bible, Philippians 3 and verse 10. Paul would say, I I want to know Christ. That's right, Paul, good job. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Ooh, preach it, Paul. But I also want to suffer with him. what? Sharing in his death. Paul understood that to be like Christ, there's gonna, we want to know Christ, to know Him and grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that rose Jesus from the dead. Yes, I want to see that. I want to know that, experience that. But Paul also said, but I also want to know His sufferings. I want to share, share that part of His life as well. I think it's in Timothy that the uh, tells us that if we desire to live a godly life, we will suffer persecution. There's going to be some consequences of being like Christ. And I know there's many of you here tonight, uh, this morning, right here in this place, that have experienced that very thing. That this year, there's been probably more arguments than ever. Maybe between family members, co-workers. Been more agitation and accusation than ever before. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard year to to be rooted in Jesus Christ. It's been a hard year to be unwavering, uncompromising, unrelenting. It's been difficult. And I'm sure there's been some conversation that you thought you would never have with maybe your own brother, your own family, your own parents, your own spouse. I would just encourage you. During these challenging trials, what has your appearance been like? Has it been like verse 15? And gazing at Stephen, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I wonder, what has your countenance been like this past year? I would like, I love to be able to stand up here and say, hey, my face has always been like an angel. <laughs> but friends, I'll just confess to you, this has been a hard year. Uh, um, it's been a hard year for everybody. It's been a hard year for us as a church. I mentioned to you, we're just three and a half years old. Two years of our existence, we were doing great. The third year, a third of our existence has been under COVID. We don't have a property. We were in a school. We got kicked out. We had to f- innovate and try to create. There's people that started the church with us, that were with us, on boots on the ground, that have left. Accusations, agitation, arguments. People that I thought, there's, this th- th- there's no way. This, 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 this family is with us switch up and change arguments and i can't tell you that i wish i could say that every conversation that i had i had the face of an angel but i just truly did not i just truly did it so i I challenge you what when you're getting squeezed what's what's pouring out what is on the overflow of you i love thinking about Stephen. i love thinking about his life and as we kind of come to a conclusion here just nice little text nice little thoughts you want to live a life of significance, a life that matters, a life that's catalytic, that changes. Do people know that you've been with Jesus? What is overflowing in your life? Is there sweetness and strength? Or is there just bitterness and argumentation? When, you, when someone sees you coming out of your, their car and coming your way, do they think, oh no, here she comes again? <laughs> Gossip and just maliciousness. What's on the overflow? What's, what's overflowing out out of you? Grace and power, faith, fullness. In hard times, do they see peace on your face? I also want to encourage you with a phrase the Lord gave me many years ago, and I just think about it all the time. Embrace the place. Can you say embrace the place? Oftentimes we want God to use this in radical ways. We want God to to use us in significant catalytic type ways. But maybe we're waiting for, well, when I get on the platform, that's when God will use me. Or when I'm, I'm underneath that white tent being a leader, that's when God will use me. Well, maybe you need to just embrace the place God has you right now. Are you a person of obedience in just the small things? Just the small things. Just the things that maybe no one ever sees, but God sees. Are you embracing the place that God has you right now? Many of you, we remember when you were that that senior year of high school, like you could not wait to get out of high school. But I'll never forget my high school pastor, Pastor uh, Gerald Torres, who founded Reality Carp many years ago. He said, listen, Nate, you're never going to be a senior again. So enjoy where God has you right now. Where does God have you right now? You've heard that phrase, what's the phrase? Bloom where you're planted. Right, like where are you planted? Are you being obedient to that spot right there? Because small things lead to bigger things. Faithfulness in small things lead to faithfulness in bigger things. So embrace the place. A great example of that is always the life of Joseph. Just think about the life of Joseph. He was obedient in small things. He's thrown in a pit. He's just like, well, of course, he had to be obedient there because they threw him there. But they get him out of the pit. He goes to where? Potiphar's house. He's just obedient there. From Potiphar, he goes to prison. He's just obedient there. From prison, he goes to the palace. He's obedient there. And those small steps of obedience led to this uh, this moral character of Joseph that allowed him to stand tall and save a nation. Embrace the place God has for you. And I believe God will blow your mind. Last little thought I have is um, popular opinion changes. What I think is so interesting here is that earlier we read in scripture that the crowd enjoyed the church. The crowd, we see in verse uh, chapter 5 or chapter 6 earlier, that the, uh, everyone held the apostles in high esteem. Like the whole town was like really honored and enamored with the church. But here we see that the crowd gets stirred up in a different direction. And now they begin to accuse the church. That's why, church, our, our vision our goal is never based upon popular opinion, right? Never, 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 never. The vision of the Ranch Church, the vision of Anthem Chapel is founded upon the word of God. Not the word of people, not popular opinion, not where the culture is going. No, no, no. What's what's God telling us to do? What's where's God telling us to go? Because popular opinion changes. Haven't we seen that in this past <laughs> 12 months? I'm so grateful for this church so grateful for the leadership, your pastors, your leadership here. They love you, and more importantly, they love Jesus. How does God want to use this field? I mean, what's going to be in that, what's going to be in that dirt right there? I don't know. Dirt bike track probably would be really good. (laughs) What's God going to do? I see your faithfulness. I see your courage. I, I see you guys sticking to what God has in front of you. Oh man, it is exciting. And truly, the Ranch Church will be a catalyst in the valley. I believe it. I've seen it. You're examples and witnesses of that. What an honor it has been to just spend a few moments and minutes with you guys this morning. Would you stay with me as we just close in prayer today? Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.